So we're going to have our reading now. So it's, um, we're starting a new series today in John's Gospel. And so we're going to be starting off reading the beginning, but also a little bit at the end of John's Gospel. So we're going to start off with chapter 1. So that's on page 1063 in the Red Bibles. And it will also be on the screen behind me. So John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and it's on page 1063. So all about Jesus, the Word. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made and has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then we're going to flip to the end of John. So John chapter 20, verse 30. So that's on page 1090. So John chapter 20 and verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I was looking at all this mess on the lectern thinking, whose mess is that? And then I realized it's all mine from last week, so apologies to anyone else who's using this lectern. and I will eventually clear up. There we are. Uh, get your Bibles open in front of you at John's Gospel, actually at the back passage to begin there in um, John 20, right at the end of the Gospel, verses 30 and 31. So yeah, that, that final bit that Ruth read, those couple of verses are our main focus today, where John explains his purpose in writing this Gospel. I wonder if I asked you, where were you two years ago? I reckon for all of you, I can have a pretty good guess as to where you were. You were staying home. That's what we were doing two years from now. Do you remember? We were staying home. We were saving lives. We were protecting the NHS, mainly by watching a lot of stream television. And we were locked down. Actually, the announcement of lockdown lifting happened later this week, two years ago, and didn't happen until the summer. And I think for many of us, the first lockdown felt okay, didn't it? I think a lot of us realized life had got into a bit of a rush, and actually I think we felt quite safe, many of us, just being in our homes with our family, away from some of the chaos that we've been experiencing. And uh, I think the first lockdown, if we didn't have anyone who was sick, in which case that was very scary, um, and we were able to kind of retreat into our own homes, many of us found that a reasonably good few weeks. However, the longer it went on, the harder many of us found being locked down and restricted. Different for different people, but many. We found that we were missing out on things that we planned. So lots of things that we wanted to do, we weren't able to do. So people finished school without having a leavers event. People planned weddings and then had to cancel them. Funerals were very, very small affairs with just a few people there to mourn the loss of loved ones. And people found that hard. They felt like they were missing out. Relationships also became difficult to maintain, especially over a longer distance. So grandchildren didn't see their grandparents. And the longer that went on, the harder that was for many people. 
and those who had family abroad didn't know when they would see them again. And that became very, very hard for people. And so over time, people's mental health took quite a hammering during the pandemic. Many people felt more anxious or more depressed or more alone than they had done before. And all of these things were extremely hard for people to bear, not knowing how long it was going to go on. We felt like we were missing out. And the cry became, do you remember, I can't wait for life to get back to normal. I can't wait for life to get back to normal. Well, how's that going for you? Because we're kind of back, aren't we? I mean, there may be some who aren't, there are some who aren't, but for many of us, life is pretty much back to normal. So is this as good as life gets? Is this everything we've ever hoped and dreamed of? Is this the good life? Well, you know, the Bible says that before there was any such thing as coronavirus, right the way back to the earliest days of humanity, there was a much more deadly and destructive pandemic that has affected every single human being who has ever lived. And that pandemic doesn't operate just in the physical space in which we live, but in our hearts and in our souls. And it is the cancer of sin. It's a cancer that affects every single area of life. Most significantly, it means we miss out on what we were created to be. We were created to be friends with the God who made us. We were created to love each and every person in this world as much as we love ourselves. We were created to look around this world and see beauty and wonder. And in our heart of hearts, not just in church when we sing, but every moment of every day, to worship the God who made such a wonderful world. And yet sin has reduced us. Sin has given us a permanently locked down life, a life that is so much less than God intended for us. And without a rescuer, without someone coming in to bring light and life to us, we would live that life for the whole of this life, for as long as that is, and then for all eternity. We would still be cut off from the God who made us, cut off from loving relationships from those around us, cut off from a world of wonder and far from God for all eternity. But as we begin John's gospel, what we're going to see is this. There is a God who loves people like you and me, who are sick to the deepest recesses of our souls and loved us so much. He came from heaven to earth to rescue us. John's gospel is all about the greatest human being who ever lived, the man who is God. And for the next year or more, we're going to spend time with him, Sunday by Sunday, getting to know him so that his life and his light might break in to the darkest places of your heart and mine, that we might be restored, that we might come into a deeper, more loving relationship with the God who made us that we might come into deeper and more loving relationships with all those around us, that we might be able to look at the world around us and see more of its beauty and design because we know the one who created it all. We're going to do this series because all of us need new beginnings. 
All of us need places to start again. And as we come out of a world that's been affected by a pandemic, there'll be more troubles yet to come. But there is a God who loves us so much, he can see us through them all. And it's that God we turn to here this morning. So open up your Bibles at John chapter 20, if you haven't yet, at that final couple of verses. And look at them with me. This is why John wrote what he wrote. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So who was John? John never names himself in the gospel, but it's from the earliest times been said that John wrote this. There are numerous reasons for that. One is he's never mentioned by name, which he is in the other three gospels. He instead refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple Jesus loved. So he identifies himself in that way. And when he traveled with Jesus for three years, he was an eyewitness of all of the things written in this gospel. He saw them. And he was a very young guy. Some of you here in years 9, 10, 11, it's that sort of age. You would be the right sort of age, 14, 15, 16, traveling around with Jesus, seeing the things that he did. But when John wrote this down, he was an older guy, probably around about 85 AD. So about 50 years after these things happened probably from the great city of Ephesus where he'd been a pastor for many years. And as people looked at this old guy whose legs had gone and he had to be carried on a mat and he preached a five-word sermon. Loved ones, love one another. That was his favorite sermon. Loved ones, love one another. Someone's all he could manage, but you wish that for me. Anyway, I'll get there. And he then, his disciples, people that were learning from him, said, John, you've got to write this stuff down. When you're here, who's going to tell us these things? And so John wrote down, out of all the days Jesus lived, 21 days of his life. This is highly edited. This is like a highlights package of the life of Jesus is remembered by John. John knew what Matthew had written. He knew what Mark had written. He knew what Luke had written. And this is a supplement to those other three stories about the life of Jesus, those historical accounts of Jesus. John is filling in some of the gaps. And it's an amazing thing. And he wants you to believe and have life in the name of Jesus. But to do so, he says, you've got to look at the evidence. Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples. There are about 35 in the Gospels. John focuses on eight, seven of which he calls signs. And he says, they're not recording this book, but then he does give us seven. You see them on the screen behind me. Jesus turned water into wine. He healed an official's son. He healed a disabled man. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He walked on the Sea of Galilee. He healed a man born blind, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. We're going to look at all of those miracles and see what they show us about Jesus. And as a result, John's gospel is often seen as being in two halves. The first half is called the book of signs, because it's full of these signs, these things that Jesus did that proved he really was the God, uh, God, in, uh, God as a man, fully God, fully human. 
And then the second half of the book is called the book of glory. It's one week in the life of Jesus. In fact, most of it's just one night. John writes extensively on the night before Jesus died, the night before he went to the cross for people like you and me. And those chapters are important to us, not just because they show us how much Jesus loves us, but because they also show us how hard the disciples found it to believe. Many of you are quite new to Christian things. That's a great thing. And uh, welcome to some even new this morning. If you find some of these things hard to believe, hard to get your head around, what I find amazing about John's gospel is the disciples traveled with Jesus for three years. They saw these things, and yet still they found it hard to believe. So hang on in there over these weeks. Keep an open heart. Keep thinking, who is this Jesus? What did he come to do for me? So John presents evidence of what Jesus did. And he does it so that we might believe. These things are written that you might believe. He actually uses that word 85 times in the gospel. You're going to hear it every single week, pretty much, I think. Believe, believe, believe. It's not the kind of belief that's just a vague kind of leap in the dark. It's not trying to believe something we know deep down isn't true. It's a belief in something that we know is absolutely solid, that we can build our lives upon. While I've been preparing, I found this quote by Mark Johnson that I found helpful. He says, The faith Jesus calls for in the gospel is not a spiritual leap in the dark, but a leap into the arms of the God revealed fully in himself. That's where we're going to wind up. It's in the arms of Jesus Christ. It's a belief that leads you to him, to experience and know his love as rock solid and real. It's an amazing thing to know him, to have that security of being loved by majesty. And Jesus can do that for you as he's done for many other. And John's gospel reveals that love. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's small. There it is. But this little book here is life-changing. And if you don't have one, we've put some of these in the lobby this morning. And you can take one with you and you can read it, depending how fast you read. What, maybe a couple of hours, if that. Do you know what? I don't know how long the train takes from Paddington to London. What's it, about an hour and 40? Some of you probably know exactly, don't you? Because you do it lots. I haven't been on the train for, for ages. Do you know what? My brother came to visit me at Bristol University. I'd just become a Christian. He was as anti-Christian as anyone I've ever met. He didn't want anything to do with it. And then through a series of events I'm not going to describe today, while he stayed with me, he said to me as he was leaving, do you have a Bible I could borrow? And my brother borrowed my Bible. And he sat on the train between Bristol Temple Meads and London Paddington. And he began reading, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he finished reading. At the end of the gospel, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And he bowed down on that train and gave his life to Jesus Christ. If you've never read this, take it with you today. Read it. This book changes lives because it is the living word of God.
So John presents his evidence that we might believe, and by believing, have life in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to have life in his name? Well, it means believing all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us. So let's leave that there and let's turn to the beginning of that gospel. Go back to chapter 1. John says these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. These are mind-blowing words. If you know your Bible well, they are a direct echo of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John deliberately says, here we go again, hold on to your seats, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That that is so important to get your head around this. You'll spend your whole life trying to. You'll never get there completely. It's the most amazing thing in the whole world. In the beginning was the Word. Why does he not say in the beginning was Jesus? We know Jesus is the Word because he says in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So it's Jesus. Why not just say Jesus? That would be clearer. Do you know why? Because he doesn't want to begin with you in Bethlehem. He wants you to see that right the way back at the beginning of time, before anything was made, there was Jesus Christ. And as God said, let there be light. So Jesus Christ went out from the Father and this creation, this universe came into being. He is the Word. And as our words reveal us, so Jesus reveals God. So if I want to get to know you, if I really want to get to know you, we're going to have to talk, right? I mean, you may be the most brilliant mime artist in the whole wide world, okay? But even if your favorite food is bangers and mash, I'm going to be struggling probably to get there as you mime it for me. And that's not a hugely complicated part of your life and your past. I come from Welling Garden City. Good luck miming that. You know, if we're going to get to know one another, we're going to have to have a powwow, aren't we? We're going to have to sit down and talk. And Jesus came into this world, the Word of God made flesh, to reveal God to people like you and me. Do you know what? If you'd been there, he'd have looked ordinary. And he'd have just sat down with you and probably had a conversation with you. And you would have been in the presence of God Almighty, the creator of the universe. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The God of the Bible is complex in the sense that he is one God, but he is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. So Jesus was there. And when it says with, it's the idea of being face to face. That's what the word actually means. He was face to face with God in the beginning. It's the idea of an amazingly loving relationship. Almost like a kiss. Do you know what I mean? I I like kissing my wife. But there are many other people I wouldn't like to really kiss. That kind of intimacy is just not right. But between Jesus and his father, it was face-to-face intimacy. It was that close. It was love in all its fullness. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And get this. 
the word was God. To look at Jesus Christ is to see God Almighty. He was there in the beginning. Back in eternity past, there was never a place where Jesus wasn't wasing. You know that? There was never a very good grammar, but there was never a time when Jesus wasn't wasing. He was always there. As far back beyond our minds and our imagination, he was always there. And forward into eternity future, he will always be because he is God. And all things, including you and me, were made through him. And that isn't an idea that John pushed on to Jesus. You know, if you've seen the Monty Python film, The Life of Brian, you know, the whole concept behind that is he was an ordinary guy and other people said stuff about him. Lots and lots of people feel like the disciples made it up. You know, that Jesus didn't big himself up in that way. That is just utter foolishness. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Back in the Old Testament, there was a guy called Moses. He led God's people out of Egypt. But before he did, he was a bit worried, as you might be, but like going to Vladimir Putin and saying, you've got to get out of Ukraine. You know, off you go, toddle off. You know, it would be a challenging gig, wouldn't it? And he was want to do that? Well, Moses was given that gig to Pharaoh, who was the Putin of his day. You've got to let all your slaves go free. God says so. And Moses was like, he's not going to listen. But when I ask, what's your name? I need a name. I need to be able to tell him who you are. So at the burning bush, God appeared to Moses and he said, here's my name. Get this. I am who I am. When Pharaoh challenges you and says, what's the name of your God? Tell him, I am who I am. What we're going to see in John's gospel is Jesus doesn't stop taking that name upon his lips. He keeps calling himself, I am. In fact, there are seven famous I am sayings in John. Let me list them for you now. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the gates. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And every time he said it, they heard the name of God. Did his disciples make it up? Did they kind of say, oh, no, no, Jesus was just an ordinary guy, the carpenter's son, a teacher, a prophet? No, no, no. Jesus' enemies got this right the way through the gospel, as we're going to see. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I and the Father am one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? All of those signs, all of those miracles. Which one are you going to throw rocks at me for to kill me? Here's what they said. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So do you see what you've got going on here? You've got Jesus saying, I am God in human form. Come down to rescue. And people saying, no, you're not. You're just a bloke. You're just the carpenter's son. And we're going to kill you if you don't shut your mouth. That's the divide in John's gospel. Who was Jesus? You've got to decide. There is nothing more important for you to be absolutely certain of 
then who is Jesus Christ? Some just say he was a good man. Some say he was a very bad man. Some say he was a prophet. But if you really know and love him, then he's God for you. He is the one in whom you believe. He's the one who you think made you and loves you like no other and knows you like no other and will be there for all eternity by your side because he is God Almighty. We believe in his name. What did he do? Look at verses 4 and 5. He made all things, and then it says in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. You see, Jesus came into this world to bring life and light where there's death and darkness. My friend Mike Kane wrote a brilliant book called Real Life Jesus. In that is this quote, which I love. Mike just says, our days are shot through with death and all our sinfulness, our frailty and our mortality all point to the fact that we're cut off from the fullness of life from which we were created because we've walked out on the God who is the source of life. You see, for all of us, we begin with that disease of sin running through us that cuts us off from God. We've walked out on him But the amazing thing in John's gospel is it shows us a God who's not walked out on us. I don't mind or care who you are here this morning. The fact you are still breathing is evidence God hasn't given up on you. His work in you is still ongoing. He loves you and he's come here this morning for you. He's present by his spirit in this room and he is speaking to you here this morning bringing his light and his life to you even today. Because it's not just a dark world, is it? It is a dark world out there. And sometimes it feels very dark. Sometimes that darkness comes close. We lose someone we love who's irreplaceable and the darkness overwhelms. Our mental health collapses, and we just feel worthless and the darkness presses in. You feel like that, you're not alone. Do you know one of the Psalms finishes with this line? Darkness is my closest friend. That's how bleak life here can be. And yet into that darkness of this world and into the very darkest places of our hearts, Jesus Christ comes to bring light and life and love and to restore you to the person you were created to be. It is a wonderful thing to be safe in his arms. How far would Jesus go to bring that love? Do you remember there's the book of signs? Jesus shows who he is and his tenderness and compassion for people. But then there's the book of glory where Jesus goes all the way into the deepest darkness of the cross to rescue people like you and people like me. There he bled and he died for us. And for all of us, that's going to give us a choice as we work through John's gospel. You see, as we get confronted with the claims of Jesus, that actually he doesn't just want us to believe in the sense of saying, oh yeah, I believe that, what's next? But in a sense saying, I believe that, help me to believe him more. I love you, but I want to love you more. I worship you, but I want to worship you with my whole life. 
we're either going to be drawn to Jesus or we're going to wish he never came. There's no neutral ground here. Either at the end of this series, you're going to think, I'm so glad that he came because without him, there's no light in life for me. Or you're going to say, I just want to stay here in this lockdown life in the darkness. I don't want Jesus telling me what to do. I want to live my life my way. There's nothing in between. Either we'll want to pick up rocks and throw them at him. Or in our heart of hearts, we'll come to a place of belief. The disciples really struggled to believe. The night before Jesus died, they're still wrestling with it. After he comes back from the dead, none of them saw that coming. There's a guy called Doubting Thomas you might have heard of. And he's not there when the other 11 disciples first see Jesus. And he goes, look, I don't believe you. Unless I get to put my hands into where they put the nails. They put a spear in his side. I want to put my hand right in there. Pretty grim. I won't believe. He just says, I won't believe it's really him back from the dead. And then Jesus appeared to them all. And he says to Thomas, go on then. Do it. Here they are. Here's my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas falls before him and says what we must all say if we're going to be right with the God who made us. My Lord and my God. And it is my hope, the hope of the elders here, that as we work through this series together, each and every one, and those not yet here, those that we love who aren't yet safe in Christ, will be brought to a point where they are able to say, my Lord and my God, thank you that you died for me. This gospel didn't just change my brother's life, dramatic as that was. 31 years ago at Easter, I was revising for my A-levels. Some of you are in that place right now, revising for exams. And in that moment, the Lord in his kindness reached out to me, said to me, do you love me? And the following day, I went to church, and the minister turned to the back of John's gospel, and three times Jesus says to Simon Peter, the disciple who betrayed him, do you love me? And that's really the question at the heart of it all. Do you love Jesus? I have no doubt he loves you. He left heaven and came to earth to rescue people like you and me. But the question is, do we love him? Do our lives look like love for him? Do our families look like love for him? Does our work look like love for him? Does each day look like love for him? Does the way that we use our money look like love for him? Does the way we use our time look like love for him? Don't think this is for someone else. Don't think because you've been following Jesus for 60, 70 years, there's nothing new to learn. In the beginning, 
was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word came into this world to rescue you. Let me pray. Loving Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God, rich in mercy, rich in grace. And in that face-to-face communion with your Son, that love that you had, you devised this amazing plan to bring people like us into that relationship of love, that we might be able to look at you in our hearts this morning and feel your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your light, and your love flooding our hearts. Father, I want to pray for any here this morning who don't yet know you. Lord, might today be the day when they trust you, when hand on heart they can say, Jesus, I see you are God. I see that you left heaven to come for me. I see that you are the one in whom is light and life. Sorry that I've lived this long without you, but today I put my trust in you. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you, you rose again to give me life. Oh Lord, please be at work in saving power this morning, I pray. Amen. But also, Lord, for those of us here who know, trust, and love you, Lord, how weak and feeble my love is so often. How often I live without your light and your life at the center of my thoughts. Oh Lord, for all of us here, may we grow in our love for Jesus. May we be those who, when Jesus says, do you love me? We can say, yes, Lord, I do, but help me to love you more. So, Lord Jesus, we pray you would be at work in us and through us, that Jesus might be seen in this world and his light might penetrate the darkness. For we ask these things in his name and through the victory that he won. Amen.